I'm not afraid. Are you? The Watchman Speaks discusses biblical solutions to modern-day dilemmas. I'll tell you the truth, even if it's not what you want to hear. I am the old watchman, Ezekiel. I pray you listen. Welcome to The Watchman Speaks. I'm your host, Lonnie Richardson. Last week I posed the question, did God really mean what he said? Well, I got a little feedback. And of the little feedback that I received, I was accused of implying replacement theology and salvation by works. I never said either of those things, nor did I imply them. Those accusations came from someone who simply did not want to hear the truth. I stand firm in what I said, but I will offer some clarifying remarks just in case the water is still a little muddy for some of you. First, replacement theology is where one replaces Israel with the United States or any other nation. Never once did I say that the United States or any other nation or the modern believer in Jesus Christ replaces the people of Israel as seen in the Old Testament. However, Paul states in Romans chapter 11, verses 16 through 21, If the first piece of dough is holy, he's talking about Christ, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, again, he's talking about Christ, the branches are too, those branches attached to Christ. But if some of the branches were broken off, that would be the Jews who were not reconciled to Christ. If some of the branches are broken off and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so I may be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief. But you stand in your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Behold the kindness and the severity of God. To those who fail, severity. But to you, God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And I'd also like to direct you to Ephesians Chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed by flesh by human hands, remember that you are, were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It continues on to say that Christ abolished in his flesh enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that the Jew and Gentile be made into one, establishing peace. Notice if you'll read that in verse 15, that it does not say Jesus abolished the law or commandments or ordinances. 
It says that he abolished the enmity brought about the law, commandments, and ordinances. It appears to me that Jew and Gentile are still holding on some of that enmity. However, it is clear that Paul's intent was the blood of Christ is the redeeming agent for both Jew and Gentile. So while the law and the ceremonies therein provided for the salvation and redemption in the ancient days of the Old Testament, it's clear that that is no longer so. Our salvation and redemption are provided in the blood of Jesus Christ. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, it says, That I did not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ died needlessly. So I'm not attempting to teach salvation by works, nor am I implying replacement theology, because Paul clearly states that through Jesus Christ, the Jew and Gentile are one man, and the Gentile is part of the commonwealth of Israel. I'm not replacing Israel. It's part of Israel. So what am I saying when I ask the question, did God really mean what he said? In the Old Testament, God said for the males to be circumcised. This is the circumcision of the flesh by the hands of man. Did God say that just to be saying it? No. It had to do with cleanliness of the body and a deterrent of infections in sexual relations. However, it was a law of Moses. In Acts chapter 15, there were Pharisees teaching that one had to be circumcised in order to be saved. Paul and Barnabas corrected them by saying that the people were saved by the grace of Lord Jesus, implying that the Gentile heart, as well as the heart of the Jew, had to be circumcised. If we look all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, we read, Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. So why did I point out what God said in Second Chronicles chapter 7 and Joel chapter 2? Well, the first thing is that those are very simple instructions to a people who need to turn back to God who had strayed away. There's nothing in those instructions that is detrimental to you, me, or anyone else. Now, do you have to follow those instructions to return to God? No, I don't suppose so. Do you have to obey God's instructions to keep from straying from God in the first place? No, I don't suppose you do. Although, I highly recommend it. If you sincerely attempt to be obedient, it goes a long ways toward prevention of any backsliding and sin. Does it please God when you obey his instructions and remember the things that he said to do or things he said not to do? Absolutely. But our obedience should not stem from the notion that if we don't obey, we're going to tick God off and he's going to destroy us all or we're going to lose our salvation for that matter. No, it should be a joy to obey the Father, as Jesus did, to please him as we obeyed our earthly fathers, or at least those of us who are fortunate enough to be blessed with earthly fathers who cared. Of course, one has to consider the discipline of the Lord as it is spoken in Hebrews chapter 12. But let's move along. John chapter 12, verses 47 through 49. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him. 
For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him on that last day. For I did not speak of my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. Plainly spoken, judgment is not in the present moment. However, judgment is coming, and all will be judged. So what does this all boil down to? It boils down to the fact that I'm attempting to provoke you to get into your Bible and find out for yourself what did God say. Let me put it this way. I love my pastor. I know him to be a studious man who prays diligently for understanding and wisdom and for the flock that is under his care. Do I trust him? Absolutely. Why do I trust him? Because I'm a studious man who prays diligently and I know what God said. I learn from the things that my pastor teaches. He listens and learns from what I share with him. We hold each other accountable. If he says something that I don't think I agree with, I consult the scriptures to see if he is truly in error or if he has said something that my flesh doesn't agree with. To boil it down even further, if you get into God's word often enough and long enough, sooner or later God's word is going to get into you. That cannot possibly be a bad thing. Be warned, however. This study should be combined with prayer for proper understanding and wisdom to be achieved. The motive within the heart plays a large part in that. And remember, proper context is always a key element in studying prayer. Now, many pastors of some mega churches have their motives, and sadly, not all of them are honorable. I may step on some toes and hurt some feelings here. Some operate their churches as a business so they can sell merchandise and books. Writing books is, of itself, not a bad thing. But the content of many of these books being peddled nowadays is preposterous. Excuse me. But if I can live my best life in this life, what do I have to look forward to in life after this? If knowing Jesus didn't change me and Jesus only revealed who I was all along, then what benefit do I have in knowing Jesus if I am not changed? How is it that so many pastors cite giving as a means of financial blessings? What about other blessings, such as good health, solid relationships, emotional stability, food on the table, clothes on your back, a place to rest your head, or a job for that matter? Now, God will bless you financially, and he can. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that God exists so that he can give you what you want in abundance. In reality, God will provide for your needs and give you life in abundance. Truly. My mission is to provoke you to look into the Bible for yourself. It's your responsibility. The day will come when you will be called upon, even when your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, to be held accountable for this life. I didn't know will not be a suitable excuse. Here at The Watchman Speaks, I hope to inspire you to read the Bible so that you can connect the dots and put pieces of the puzzle together. Don't trust anyone to do that for you. Here's an example. 
My granddaughter came home from a Wednesday night youth meeting at church, and I asked her what they did. She told me that they paired off and practiced sharing the gospel to other people. One person was to be a solid Christian, while the other was not yet converted. After each session, the group would make constructive suggestions on how to improve and she admitted that most everyone in the group had some difficulty in sharing their thoughts about the gospel of Jesus Christ. She did say that she thought of and made the suggestion that they take the non-believer into the Bible to show them the gospel. I saw and seized a valuable teaching opportunity. I said, okay, that's good. What verses in the Bible would you take a person who is thinking about coming a Christian? She thought for a moment and replied, well, John 3.16 is pretty straightforward and simple. Excellent, I said. Show it to me. I handed her my Bible and she fumbled around a few moments because she was having difficulty finding the book of John in the Bible. She did, however, find it and showed it to me. and I was proud of her. I said, okay, now what else? She admitted somewhat ashamed that she couldn't think of anything else. But I assured her there's nothing to be ashamed of. Then I asked her, I said, would you like for Papa to show you a neat trick? And her face brightened up and she nodded her head. I told her, I'm going to show you in the book of Romans a road for sharing the gospel. Well, she just nodded and drew closer. So I shared with her Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. As is it written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. Then we moved along to Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 26. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This is to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration I say of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. From there we went on to Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5, verses 8 through 9. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, in that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Then we went to Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we move to Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. 
For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We went through each verse and passage, and I took the time to explain to her what they meant, and she soaked it up like a sponge. She looked up at me with a tear in her eyes. She said, is it really that simple, Papa? And I assured her that it was that simple, and there was more, much more. And she said, more? I said, yes, darling, there's so much more. We have an inheritance waiting for us. We'll get to meet Jesus and usher him into the earth when he returns and establishes God's kingdom. There is so much joy to be had now and in the future. And she said, that's why you read the Bible and pray so much, huh, Papa? I said, yes, baby, that's why Papa reads the Bible and prays so much. She thought for a few moments and wondered aloud if her youth pastor knew about this Roman road to salvation. Then she asked, in case he didn't, did I think he would mind if she shared it with him? Well, I marveled for a moment at her maturity and not wanting to seem like a know-it-all and be offensive towards someone who should know more than she does. But I admitted I didn't know if her youth pastor knew about the Roman road or not. But I didn't think he would mind if she shared it with him, whether he did or not. You see, it's our responsibility to teach our children and our grandchildren what God said. It's not the responsibility of a youth or children's pastor. We as parents and grandparents are to teach, and it's the pastor's responsibility to reinforce that teaching. The same applies to us grown folk. It's our responsibility to look into God's word for our own well-being. The pastor is there to clarify and reinforce. Let me say this about a pastor. If he's a pastor that cannot be corrected, if indeed he needs correction, then his heart and motive is not in the right place. But notice I said that if he truly has need of correction, don't go flying off the handle until you have genuine, genuine proof that he is in need for correction, and then with kindness. Now take me for example. I present my methods and means of Bible study that I obtain studying and praying. Occasionally I may get it wrong. I have no problem with being wrong. Just show me chapter and verse where I'm wrong and I'll apologize publicly for any misleading on my part. Thus far, I've not had to do that. However, should the occasion arise, I certainly am not too proud to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Which brings me to my conclusion. All I'm presenting here on The Watchman Speaks is a Bible study and how I approach Bible study. I believe that it has served me well thus far. My intention is not to prove you or anyone else wrong. My intent is to provoke you or inspire you to delve into the Bible while setting aside what someone else has told you about God and find out what God tells you about himself. This episode is what I'm talking about. I was accused of presenting replacement theology by someone who has no idea what replacement theology actually is or has any understanding of the connection between the Jew and Gentile as a singular entity. When I mention obedience to God's word, they immediately jump to the conclusion that I'm peddling salvation by works and righteousness by the law. I said no such thing. Did these accusations make me angry? No, they broke my heart, because they took something that they read in a book by some famous pastor or author as the gospel, without delving into the gospel itself for themselves. Oh, and one more thing. 
This person would not even attempt to listen to my rebuttal of their comment stating, I guess we just interpret the scriptures differently. Well, on that issue, I had to agree. We do see the scriptures differently. You see, the truth is the truth, and truth does not need interpretation. When you interpret the truth, you take objective truth and make it subjective to meet your agenda. That's dangerous. How can I say that? Well, I spend a lot of time digging in the minds that are in the pages of the Bible and a lot of time praying for wisdom and understanding. Like many, I had my own preconceived notions. But when I uncovered the truth, I found that many of my notions didn't hold water. So to encourage you, to provoke you, or to inspire you to delve into the Bible was one element of this episode. The second was to lead you, as I did my granddaughter, through a simple path in the Bible to witness to others, leading them to Christ. That's not just the pastor's job or the teacher's job or the evangelist's job. That's every Christian's responsibility. You know, the last recorded words of Jesus on this earth are found in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in both Jerusalem, all of Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Of all the things Jesus could have spoken about, the Great Commission was the last thing that he spoke on this earth. I'd say that's for everyone. In verse 8, it says, You will receive power. Now, you will is a definitive article. Not you might, you should, you ought to. You will receive power. What power? In the Greek, the word power is dynamis. is where we get the English word dynamite from. It's a power not of your own. It is a supernatural power to achieve things that you alone cannot accomplish. When do we receive this power? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When you receive the Holy Spirit, when you get saved, and to a greater extent, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay, for what purpose do we receive this power? It says, you will be his witness. You will. Again, definitive article, not you might, you could, you should, you ought to. You will be his witness. In the Greek, the word witness is martis. It's where we get our word martyr from. To be his witness is to stand as a witness of our faith in Jesus, even unto death. That means we are to share the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus preached and the redemption Jesus provided on the cross, even if it costs us something. Now, that's the truth. You have been provided the Roman road to salvation, which is only one of the means of sharing the gospel. Go forth and use it. Go forth and teach it to others. It was the last commandment of our Lord and Savior. I am the old watchman, Ezekiel, and you have been warned. Well, that's all for now. I thank you for your time and participation. Our time together is precious to me. Please. Come and visit me at theoldwatchman.com for show notes, articles, video content, book reviews, Bible study material reviews, and Bible study methods. It's my hope and prayer that you get to know me through this podcast. 
Through the website at theoldwatchman.com, I can get to know you. If you like the content, consider following The Old Watchman on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. See you next time. May nothing in your life be missing. Nothing in your life be broken. Shalom.